0: I'm excited to announce that I've partnered with GiveSum to make your giving experience remarkable. GiveSum's digital web-based platform allows you to give to the charitable initiatives you care about most while also experiencing the difference your gift made. Join us in celebrating this partnership by visiting the link in the bio. Hello, and welcome to Collisions YYC, Follow the Money, Investing with Purpose, a show where we have real conversations with the people who are driving change in our community. And with that broad sweeping uh, intro, I'll welcome Jacques Lapointe to the show today. How are you doing, Jacques?
1: great how are you thanks for
0: having me. oh awesome man thanks for thanks for making the time i have met your business partner your partner in crime maybe how you however you want to refer to it brian on the show before and between the two of us i feel that we were able because he said you were kind of resistant so thanks for finding the time and thanks for opening the door i don't want to speak out of school but he did tell me that man, maybe shock might want to come on, maybe not so a long story short uh i was creeping on your bio this morning but let's start with current affairs you are co-founder and director director at matiquity ventures fund Let's jump in the old pitch elevator. What's Matiquity all about? What do you guys do? And let's unpack it from there.
1: Yeah. So thanks. Uh, yeah, Matiquity really stands for meticulous equity. So we are early stage venture cap company focused on the early revenue pre revenue companies. So we're filling that gap that exists out here in the prairies, you know. And when I say gap, I'm talking about lack of funding, lack of investment available for early stage startups. You know, especially that early valley of death where (laughs) companies have, you know, hardly any revenue or zero revenue. We focus on those kind of companies because we help to uh, build some strength in them from a, a capital perspective, but also an advice perspective, because in the early stage, we have lots of companies that are subject matter experts, but maybe have not been on the startup journey. So that's a lot of uh, what we do in the early stage.
0: How long have you guys been around? and How long have you been involved uh, directly with Metiquity?
1: Yeah, interestingly enough, Brian and I have been talking about and started setting up this fund way back in 2015. But uh, fast forward till now, we started about just about three years ago with our first investment. And that came partly from personal funds and, and some funds from others.
0: Okay, fantastic. Curious. I've looked at your, at your bio. You've got a lot of experience in the tech sector. You've been involved in different startups. You've been involved in different invest. Why choose early stage over all of the other options one could pick, even just in the world of venture capital all the way up to private equity?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, that's a, a perfect question because that really talks about our thesis, right? And what you have in our sort of investment uh, environment is there's been a lot of money placed in the later stages You know, meaning if you've got a million or more in revenue, there's a lot of options across North America and otherwise for investors. So we've picked this early stage because, A, there's an opportunity, B, our experience is there, but also there's a real financial leverage opportunity. You know, if you were, let's just talk about real estate for half a second. If you were going to buy a condo in Canadian dollars today and you're going to buy it in Calgary versus Vancouver versus Toronto, Montreal area, you're getting a huge discount and getting the same kind of condo. Same kind of thing is happening here in the prairies, Alberta in particular, where companies that are here in Alberta, they could be, you know, barely into revenue and the same kind of company in Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal, Waterloo will get twice the valuation of what a company would hear. So the same thing as condos, you know, it's like a condo a lot cheaper here, more expensive there. And so the opportunity for us is to find great ideas, great companies, great people. And we help them accelerate into that next round of funding where it's more normalized, meaning, you know, the valuation when you're in a million or more in revenue in Vancouver, Toronto, Waterloo area, is now more equal to what you could get here. And, you know, when you roll in the States, you typically see even higher valuations in there. So, you know, if you're going to spend Canadian dollars on a condo, you know, where are you going to buy, right? It's that lower valuation. But the difference is here in the early tech sector is that once you're into revenue, you've got lots of eyeballs. You've got 12 pseudo uh, local seed investors. You've got investors across North America that you can look to, to help.
0: I love the condo reference and I love the, you know, a condo still is fixed. I can't pick it up and move it where I can find value Mm -hmm. somewhere else, but my solution, my offering, my ideal customer profile, they could be in those other markets, even though I'm here. So that really also pitches the case where you can upscale that value of, I got a good price, but now I can take my condo and actually shop it around in Toronto for a little bit. (laughs) literally (laughs) and figuratively. (laughs)
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, the the reality is tech companies can pretty much be anywhere. And so why not be in a location where, you know, cost of living is lower. There's a, a lot of good resources around and, and, you know, great place to live. Right. And so there's, there's companies wanting to come to Calgary because of that.
0: And the reason in the past might've been because of that lower access to early stage capital, um, 2015 to now you've been in the game and from different perspectives for a while how's what's what have you seen calgary like what's the journey even from 2015 to the three years ago when you made your first investment you know i got into this podcasting game about three years ago and three and a half years ago i've seen it change and i've seen it shift but i have a perspective so i'm curious i kind of got in being very ignorant and not knowing what was going on so sometimes you feel a shift just because you learn more so that's a dangerous trend to go oh look at all these changes I've just been exposed to it, but has that been a true representation of the last five years in, you know, not even Calgary, but in Alberta in general?
1: Yeah. So I think, you know, I've been in the early stage tech game for a number of years investing as well. So investing back, you know, pre 2008 ish. Um, And so what I've seen is a whole lot of momentum change, right? And so you can pick all kinds of categories, but one of the you know, more common categories is we've seen a proliferation of accelerators and different programs here. So, you know, supports to help startups come, Uh, a lot more government activity in terms of funding for non-dilutive, you know, loans, grants, things like that. And also, uh, you know, the Alberta Venture Capital Association has picked up. We've got the A100, uh, a lot more pitch events. So we're seeing a ton of activity. um, And it's, really starting to uh, create a lot more collaboration, a lot more momentum. And also, you know, we've been dominantly described as a hydrocarbon industry and agriculture industry. But uh, what's happened is those investors or those high net worth individuals who've been successful in, uh, you know, the oil and gas sector have now started to look to diversify outside of oil and gas. So you have a, a better range of Of folks that will be willing to step in and help more angel investors that are starting to look at tech. Uh, But again, we still have a a lack of, I guess, what I would say is sophisticated funds or investors or micro funds like ours that um, are focusing on those early startups.
0: Talk to me, and this might be self-serving because it's fitting right into your sweet spot, but talk to me a little bit. And I know you and Brian and I kind of had a little little impromptu roundtable at an event a few months ago around a lot of the rhetoric and a lot of the messaging around like, come on, you high net worth investors, get out there, put some early stage money in, be an angel, kind of throw some money, like get get in the game. Chatting with you, and I've chatted with a few other people since, and there seems to be a little bit of an echo of like, be careful with that over-recommendation of everyone should just jump in versus partnering with a fund like yours or other funds in town that maybe have experience and have expertise and create guidance. Like there's always that risk of uh, a high net worth investor decides to invest in tech makes a handful of plays, it works out very poorly. And then they're like, well, that was a bad experience. And then they just kind of pull away from the sector versus the potential need or the benefit of partnering alongside or investing with a fund like yours or others in, in town in different ways that r- spend all their time being experts at this this specific type of investment.
1: Yeah, no, that that's exactly a, a key point in the industry. Yes, there's a lot of emphasis on getting, you know, uh, high net worth individuals, angels, you know, even uh, smaller sort of investment groups together to focus on, you know, jumping into the market. But, you know, unless it's their main focus, uh, you know, they kind of have to, if you look at the math, they have to get to 21 companies or somewhere in that neighborhood. I've heard that number before. <laughs> yeah, to, to make some decent returns. And, uh, but why not? you know share the experience of some of these investors and so like I know a number of angel investors who have said you know I've invested too much money in one or two companies not enough money across a broader suite of companies and and oh by the way I haven't had time to to uh, focus on these guys or try to help them and so you know you you flip the coin a little bit and you focus on okay is there a firm or somebody in in the ecosystem that does have a full-time focus on that. And so, you know, that's kind of what we do basically, right? And so it's like, why not put some money with folks that are spending all their time on that and looking at deals all day long, uh, working with companies all day long. So, you know, the exact experience of many angel investors is they give up because they start with five or six companies or seven companies and then boom, before you know it, they're like frustrated because either they're not hearing from the companies, they're not having performance, Or, you know, they just need more money and they're trying to figure out, well, how do I support this kind of stage of company when there's such variability that goes on?
0: There is the phenomenon of being in a larger, being a high net worth individual, potentially working in a larger organization and forgetting how chaotic maybe the startup phase is. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And how those individuals you said earlier, they might be experts at a very, and oftentimes I've met technical experts in their startups but the dynamics of how to run a business is not what they even kind of signed up for initially sometimes.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, I think the the real challenge for startups is not that they're inexperienced people. It's the startup journey has a whole lot of nuances and differences, right? Like Mm -hmm. you, you just don't have the options you have with the big company in terms of resources. So you're always at play in terms of, you know, what's my next step? What's the next right step? And how much cash am I going to burn to do it? And so a lot of what we do in our role is we keep people and companies in their swim lane and help them with the journey. Meaning, you know, what are the right decisions? Where what, what are the right points for financing? What are the right points and organizations to help on the, the proce- process of uh, growth? And You know it's very challenging for these companies and it's not like they don't know what they're doing Mm -hmm. they just haven't been through that journey and so keeping them in the swim lane keeping them focused on growth so they're not becoming a typical startup in the prairies where they spend seven years getting to a point versus when they should be doing that in two years Mm
0: I uh, appreciate the timelines uh, nuts and bolts a little bit. How many companies would you look at in a year or a month? Like what, what do you track? What are some of the metrics just to give people a perspective of, you know, you said it's like every day, all day, what does that actually represent numbers wise for you guys?
1: Yeah. I mean, we'll see hundreds of companies. Um, and many of them will come from different regions too. But um, you know, like if you think of some of these startup pitch events, you know, there'll be 20 companies in there alone. Mm-hmm. And so we, you know one week we'll go to one of those, we'll see 20. In the meantime, we're seeing you know one a day kind of thing, so it, it's pretty um significant. But you know, what's the great part about that is when you see them all day long, and this is the difference between an angel investor and a sophisticated investor, is that you see the patterns, you see the differences, you also see you know the cream rise to the top, and so it becomes easy, just like if you're. You know, maybe you're an insurance adjuster looking at vehicles. You can look at them all day long and you quickly pick up on all the nuances, right? So uh, that that's the benefit of, a, I guess, a sophisticated or a professional investment.
0: Well, expertise uh, through experience versus being a tourist to a certain extent. Like those pitch events can be fun, but when you don't know, you don't have a set of filters that's either predetermined or just built in through experience, every, every, anything can look good or anything can look bad depending on the kind of the, the, the color of the day, <laughs> Uh, yeah, exactly. How about how about deal flow? Like from an actual like, is there enough companies that you see hundreds? What have you seen in Alberta? You know, as we've evolved to kind of diversify, maybe where our startups are coming from versus always tied to the you know we've always had a very successful early stage oil and gas. Like, there's a lot of those big wins. Those high net worth investors did the startup oil and gas, but that was a very specific formula. And I know a few companies that are doing it now, and there is a playbook. This Alberta tech playbook, just to speak kind of it very broadly, is it are we are we constantly adding? Are you seeing more and more companies all the time? Could we see more? What, what's your balance there?
1: Yeah, I think um, we are seeing more. I've always been amazed and impressed by the diversity of opportunities that come up from you know Alberta and the prairies. You know, we are a very entrepreneurial kind of uh, hmm. uh, characteristic or whatever you know built in the prairies. Um, so we we see a lot. You know, we hear later stage investors say there's not enough good companies. And and our thesis is that, well, there's been no focus on the early stage. Now there's a lot more focus, a lot more accelerators, you know, so like companies will, or people will go through platform first and they'll learn a lot about, are they in the right business? What's the business model? Yeah. You know, value proposition, all those kinds of good things. And so it, it's um it's getting better and better. And I, I, again, I'm just super pumped and amazed at the diversity of opportunities that have come and and that goes back, you know, 10 15 years even and just now there's there's more and more.
0: Uh, so we are there, there is a consistent, cuz that's my feeling but again I always want to validate and check in on my thesis around the fact that you know, there's more all the time but I'm also talking to a lot of them so it feels like that there there's there's a lot. How have things changed in the last 6 months to a year around evaluations and I've heard they're like hey, we're not just focusing on getting to our next our next raise, we're actually focusing on being a profitable company and actually delivering a product—I know that sounds kind of being a bit tongue-in-cheek saying that—but I've heard that from a lot of people. That the last six months to a year, we've got back to fundamentals in a way that we probably needed to. I don't know. Th- thoughts on that or perspective? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I would say that's really accurate. Okay. Um, I think a lot of the the hype has been taken out of the the market, primarily because you know the the big tech names you know, in the public markets took quite a hit, but they've also come back nicely too. But I think the the hot air has been let out (laughs) and the the reality for companies is that, hey, we have to earn our valuation. We have to, you know, pay for our expenses. And so there is a a ton more focus on fundamentals. And and we see less companies now that come in with no revenue and that are trying to raise at a 10 million valuation, you know, so... It's a good thing for the ecosystem, I think. And, and, you know, we talk about uh, vintage year, uh, meaning like, you know, back in 2008, all the financial markets, including, you know, private venture and everything, everything took a huge hit. Right. But that was a great time to invest because everything came back to fundamentals. And, you know, the bottom was kind of reached. I feel like, you know, we've kind of hit that bottom as well. We're we're now in a very good investment cycle.
0: Oh, that's positive. So the 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 rumor of the recession was the actual thing that created it, versus actually the. And there's a lot of rhetoric around that. So the talk about the recession, that was the recession. Is that what happened? <laughs> yeah. Not to throw the big R word around, because then you can. Well, actually, we're in it now, or we're going to be in it. And I've talked to more people. I've talked to they're like, well, yeah, we feel like that by the beginning of the year, things will start to shift, and you'll see a lot more, a lot more activity. Um, have you seen just being in this market? you know, a few years ago versus now, are you at a place where you see those companies that are coming back to the market to raise and maybe a down round or that they've had to really take a hard look at their evaluation? Like, has that been a tough journey for some companies that you've seen in Alberta over the last few years?
1: Yeah. And we don't, we don't uh, spend a lot of time with them because, you know, as soon as a company's outside of our, our revenue sort of early stage range, but we do see and hear stories of companies that are you know, taking a flat round or a down round and and shoring up cash. So, uh, which is a good, healthy thing for the most part, but uh, it's affecting more of the growthier stages of companies where, you know, just accelerating with uh, adding clients but not profitability or at least cost coverage. You know, those are being looked at a lot harder. And then also uh, later stage venture and other investors, they've slowed down their their pace and they can take their time and look for the, the cream of the crop. Okay. Has that taken
0: a little enthusiasm out of the investor side or is that also just par for the course?
1: (laughs) I think it's just part of the cycle. I think, um, you know, there was a bit more uncertainty past six months or, you know, or 12 months ago. And then the you know last six months have been a little better, but I think it's more been about, okay, we're not chasing deals here. Let's, Find the right things, but also let's also shore up capital and give good runway to portfolio companies. So that, that's the view that I'm seeing from later stage investors. Okay, which is
0: not a bad thing from a, from a leveling the field a little bit, right? It sounds he- totally it sounds because,
1: healthier. <laughs> totally, because um, you know, it, for a while there, story stocks, story deals were you know getting lots of funding, and there wasn't a lot of fundamental. Elements there like client growth, revenue growth, and and you know are they covering their costs? It was a focus on grow, 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 and uh, didn't look so good when when you'd look down and under the hood and look at the financials and things like that. So.
0: FOMO is a dangerous uh, feeling to have in any, almost any situation. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's yeah. a it's a it's a real thing. So let's maybe get, if you, you want to dive a little bit into uh, antiquity and what you guys, like, what is the, like, what's the sweet spot? What's the size? What's the investment? Like, uh, again, I was, well, I'm a marketer, so I love telling, telling telling your story, but I also find this is such a world and my audience often gives me feedback. They're like, thanks for breaking de- breaking it down to the point that I no one assumed that I knew. <laughs> so, you know, how detailed do you want to get into kind of what you look for? And you're very specific, like, oh, those companies that are at that stage, that's not really part of what we're after. So we don't really invest there. At the stage you're at, is it are you writing two hundred fifty thousand dollar checks? Is it seven fifty? Is it million revenue or less? What are some of the real hard parameters you look for?
1: Sure. So we're looking for companies that are typically under three million in valuation, and so that means they typically would have, you know, a small amount of revenue, anything from zero to, you know, Two, 300K at the most, probably.
0: So, would you um, evaluate based on a multiple at that point? Because I know the multiple game is challenging when you're really early stage. You know, to get a 3 million evaluation off of 200,000 in revenue, it's a pretty strong multiple. <laughs> if you just go that yeah, formula, right? So,
1: mm. Yeah, we're looking for companies on the cusp of growth, right? And so, we're looking for authenticity of the revenue. Mm. We're looking for relationships with key clients or, uh, you know, some kind of partnership, but also, You know, clear signs that there's plenty of uh, potential clients, market upside for them. And in that vein, also acquirers. But coming back to your other question in terms of our check size, you know, our first check size is 250 to 300. Uh, We are targeting that valuation under three million. And uh, then we will follow on later. And we're sorry. Let me just back up. So two hundred and fifty, three hundred in the first round, and those rounds are typically five hundred and seven hundred and fifty. So we're getting into companies just after they have maybe had some friends and family money, okay. maybe their own money. Uh, that that's our stage, and then we're helping to get those companies into the next round of financing with a position of strength. And then we're also participating in those rounds, and it can be varied anywhere from a pro rata level to uh, something more substantial. And and then post that, you know, we'll also support some of the companies in their later rounds.
0: Okay. Do you find also, obviously what I'm hearing is also there's a lot of collaboration at that phase. Yours isn't the only money in, in, in play at that point.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. And and so we're we're often leading the round because we like to set the terms. We like to, you know, review the Shareholder agreement, and make changes as necessary. We like to try and keep the while cap table while, while there's
0: still while there's less uh, cooks in the kitchen.
1: <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah, and and you know try to keep things simple, and so it's well set up for the next round of financing. And then we're we're happy to collaborate with other investors, bring other investors into the round as well, alongside us.
0: Maybe stating the obvious, but maybe talk a little bit about your perspective. Like, how critical is that st- the structure of those first few deals? I've had a lot of people say Canadian companies are notorious, or Canadian investors are almost notorious for for asking for so much or structuring it in a way for those first couple rounds that actually hurts the company significantly down the road. And I've heard it; I've heard it shared to me as almost more of a Canadian problem with Canadian investors demanding more or something to the effect where it really hurts the company in the long term. Thoughts on that? Truths? Uh, your experience?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, that's one of the reasons we come in early is to try and maintain that consistency. Don't mess it up. <laughs> Don't mess it up, exactly. Use the right vehicle. We we come in uh, at the same level as the founders and common shares, creating a partnership with them, building human capital with them. Uh, but, you know, when companies raise a little bit here on a safe and then the, the next thing they raise on a convertible debt and then, you know, they have different structures that are involved, it, it can get messy and it, it's sort of like when you you're a company and you want to get to that next round of financing you want to have all your back end nice and clean so that they can focus on do they believe in your value proposition do they believe in you as a team do they think the market opportunities there is the competition you know a force to reckon with or is or do you have a real lead and so you want those next investors to be able to see the the integrity of your business and everything's clean so that they can focus on, you know, the core pieces of uh, their investment decision versus the structure of the cap table or, you know, some cleanup stuff.
0: Yeah. You're kind of getting lost in the, you're losing the plot. (laughs) Um, Yeah, exactly. Talk about is bad advice, just lack of experience, rushing, uh, needing cash. What drives some of
1: that? I think um, one of the biggest challenges companies face is, they get busy and they lose track that they're burning cash or, or they end up burning, you know, in, in the areas that they wish they hadn't. And, you know, no fault of their own in, in some respects, but I think, you know, that's one of their, their biggest challenges is just staying on, on point and not building a position of strength for the company, you know? So it's like when you're early stage tech, you need to really be, Uh, focused on your cash and focused on where am I getting my next dollar to to support my next lift in my development or my customer access. And so if you're not aggressively looking at every type of non-dilutive support, every type of investment, uh, you're not taking care of your business, right? Because In the early stage, cash is king. And, uh, you know, we see it time and time again where companies are spending too quickly on some areas and not bringing in the cash in other areas. Mm.
0: Talk to me about non dilutive grants. I've heard such mixed reviews from companies that I've chatted with where, oh man, we got so distracted by this grant and we actually maybe took our company in a direction that was aligned with the grant, but it maybe wasn't actually the right direction for either our product market fit or our customer or whatever the case may be. And I've heard such a big oh, that non-dilutive funding was the best I ever gotten, or oh my God, that was the most time I ever wasted. And I know those are probably like circumstantial, but thoughts on that and just even I'm assuming like that can become a part-time job just chasing that that side of uh, money. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it, it can be. But, you know, the reality is most of these programs and non-dilutive funding areas they require fundamental information that you have to have for other investors. Maybe you should have anyways.
0: Okay, got
1: it. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, you know, business plan, what's the status of your intellectual property? uh, You know, what's your go-to-market plan? All all those things. And so, if you're running a a sophisticated business and you've got a business plan, whether it's well written down or not, you know, these are all the fundamentals that the non-dilutives require. And so, it's it's more of a function of okay, I'm cutting and pasting elements of my business plan versus making introduced. it up from scratch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you shouldn't be answering a question to to fit a certain type of funding because it's um, you know fundamentally your your business. It needs to match anyway and, and grow. So typically these programs are well set up to help for that.
0: And at the stage of companies you're working with, that's really a key part of their mix just because of where they are in their journey back to a lot of the accelerators and incubators. And a lot of the programs I've, I've chatted people about, they're always designed to kind of get you to right up to the edge of sometimes that, that valley of death where a partner like you guys can come in to help move that forward to take that little bit of revenue and turn it into more revenue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly.
1: And, and, you know, I think... Mm-hmm. A lot of what we do is is advise them on how to access that funding and and to leverage it to a a higher extent because a lot of times companies will be excited to get a small grant. But if you think about it, they want to turn their business into a multi-million, billion-dollar business. And you have to think bigger than that. And so a lot of what we do is help them paint the picture that guess what? You're going to need all these things. And so you've got to leverage up on, you know, all your types of financing so so that you can achieve those things. And uh, it's, it just helps companies build the balance sheet and then also uh, helps them accelerate faster than the typical, you know, startup that could take five years to do something you should in two years.
0: (laughs) I appreciate that. And at the end of the day, you're not diluting your cap table with a bunch of small investors that can create a whole bunch of havoc down the road Mm -hmm. when things do start to move forward.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And people do lose track that they can spend a lot of time uh, with investors as well and get nowhere. Mm. So, you know, answering these long-winded questions for non-dilutive and things like that feels like it's a long process, but... You can be in the same trap with uh, private investors as well. It's all about
0: putting it into, it's all all has to be contextualized. Billion-dollar companies, uh, we all want to get there, we all, broad statement. What are you seeing from a technology perspective like robotics, and we've got AI and generative, and like so many buzzwords. Anything that you're seeing right now that's really starting to, you know, what did I read the other day, like... 80% of investor calls in Q1 had the word AI in them, even though it was probably irrelevant most of the time to the company that they were referring to. Things like that. Are you you fatigued by some of the buzzwords? What are you excited about in terms of, you know, the tech side of the opportunity world right now?
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, what we get excited about is that companies with good ideas are now able to leverage a little bit more technology. You know, machine learning has been around for a long time. And so AI is a level up on machine learning. And, and so now I think it's it's helped in the early stage too because, you know, we have sort of a, a theme where we say, you know, 500,000 is is like the the old 5 million, right? <laughs> you can do so much more yeah, nowadays. Yeah, yeah. And I think what we see is good companies communicating it, how they're leveraging these new technology advantages like AI. And so it's it's the smart ones that are helping to accelerate their idea or their business through the use of those technologies. And so we think it's great because in the early stage, companies can move a lot faster.
0: So it's not necessarily their product is, has to, but how are they using all these new tools that are actually accelerators for being able to spin something up on the course of a weekend versus what used to take six months?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, like mm. there, there's a risk in you know, people taking a full step only in AI because there's, you know, it's kind of uncharted territory. And you see some companies in the Valley getting, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars and they've got very little revenue or very little, um, you know, they've got some great ideas and great growth. But, you know, that's kind of like the early days of the internet where yeah. there was a lot of hype and a lot of...
0: We all remember what uh, happened there.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so you, you got to be really careful. So we like ideas, companies that are leveraging technology but not necessarily that's their core Mm. focus is you know pure ai or something like that
0: well as as using it as the force multiplier to move to be able to get to whatever the thing is you're doing versus saying oh ai is ai is the answer so let's build something based on that and yeah that's just so new and they're so like what is the moat and how, like, are you building your own AI? That's um, that's unrealistic for 99% of companies or maybe 98%. So if you're using someone else's, then in what way are you using it and how can you own that down the road? And I've kind of gone down those webinars a little bit in that, in that rabbit hole because I get I'm quite enthused about it. But right now, even with my own team, like, how can you use it to make your day better? That's our kind of key objective right now, even at a, at a small company level. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and what we see too is, um, you know, there's been a huge shift of companies, that have you know created their domain with .ai, and so yeah. you know that's great. But you know, are you a pure AI play, or you know how are you using it? So it's just kind of an interesting trend to see you know people move on what's topical.
0: <laughs> we, again, fomo and fads, uh, uh, Jacques. We can't we can't help ourselves. I think it's sometimes you know the fear of missing out, and uh, and they're like this sounds this is shiny. I'm super pumped about it. But back to what you've been saying all along. What are your fundamentals? What actually is this built on? What's the fa- what's the foundation? So any yeah. kind of big you know, words of advice and you're you're listening to a lot of pitches you're dealing with. How many companies do you guys have in your portfolio right now? So I should clarify that as well.
1: Yeah, we, we have six today. Um, we're looking at um, three, four right now that we hope to do before the end of the year. Oh, okay.
0: So a little bit of a wave here before the end of uh, 2023. Mm.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, any winners or any stories you want to tell? Again, I'm a, I'm a blatant marketer, so I love to promote. I think weightwell is one that you guys have who I know and I've got the CEO coming on In a few weeks, I know Brian was really quite excited about some of the progress they've been making.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, core to our strategy and and it's playing out here exactly is where, you know, you come into a company with a a great team, uh, a very good idea, and you see them in the early stage. But because we look closely at, you know, the reality of their revenue and how that revenue looks like it's growing... We can come in and see that acceleration take place. And that's where we jump in. And so, Waitwell is a perfect example of that. So, they had some revenue, they had some good client traction, they had some renewals. And so, now fast forward, you know, really approaching a, a revenue level where they are now seen by other investors. And as an example, you know, they raised around with uh, led by Acceler- um, Graphite Accelerate Fund and, and ourselves. And, you know, it's a testament to that growth. And again, you know, we got in early. So we now see like a triple in our valuation on Mm -hmm. paper. But it's those kind of stories where you can see that early growth and then they begin to accelerate. And, uh, you know, that's what we love.
0: Well, because the proof was, it wasn't hypothetical anymore. You started to see some real metrics.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, real metrics. And, you know, a, a team that didn't need money Looking at the, their mm. situation, saying, "Hey, this would be good money to help us grow and accelerate and uh, strengthen the balance sheet." So, you know, <laughs> this is a perfect sort of scenario, and it's a great Alberta story because you know we've got accelerate fund in ourselves in. We brought uh, graphite in from outside, and they now have a person here, Omi. Uh, so, it, you know, it's a great kind of story of of how things are growing.
0: I love what you said about you know, and I've that
1: they didn't need the money. They were making a
0: strategic decision based on growth built on the fundamentals of where they've already had success. Like that's a very comforting story versus the, the alternative of like, we're, we're burning and we got to keep the lights on, but trust me, it'll work out one day. Kind of mindset, right? Yeah, that's exactly. over, over And you know,
1: that. they could be, they could have been a company that could have raised at a much higher valuation if they, if they pushed it. Right. But there's also a reality and mm-hmm. let's make sure we're a deal for everybody, right? It's a good deal for the company, it's a good deal for the investors. Uh, it's reasonable across the board. So let's move forward on that basis. When everybody's in sort of a partnership mode, that's great. But when, you know, a company has got a great thing going and they overstep their valuation, then they've got to chase and work hard to, to live up to it. And, you know, you don't want any animosity yeah. it uh, creates, around creates the pressure table in the wrong and, place
0: in an environment where there's already pressure to perform, right? <laughs>
1: Exactly. Exactly. You do not want to be in that position where you know you're you know, like I always like love to say, you know, underpromise and overdeliver, right? Like that's the position you always want to be in. It
0: always leaves everybody more smiling than the alternative.
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Yeah. What I'm also hearing in and I'm reading between the lines of my own story, but you know, you need twenty-one companies to hopefully get two or three. You you know, you didn't say the two or three number, but I've heard that from many many investors. What I'm hearing from you and what you do at Metequity is A little bit of a different approach it's a lot more targeted a lot more based on solid opportunities sounds like a lot more hands-on mentorship support guidance whatever's needed for these companies because when i hear six in the portfolio maybe three to four that's a ways off 21 but you sound like you're a lot more invested in the individual companies versus just playing a number game and i know i know that's oversimplifying it but it feels like your thesis doesn't lend to the well we'll just get 21 and hope three work (laughs) and the rest can just go the rest can just light on fire
1: (laughs) yeah and and, you know like let's be thoughtful about you know two or three what that typically means is two or three in the portfolio bring in the majority of the returns it doesn't mean the rest of the portfolio aren't good companies you know like there's going to be a percentage that will not carry the day and survive but um you know we want that middle tier of companies to also be valued companies and so yes we are providing supports you know we step in on the board we start that process of governance where, you know, weekly or biweekly meetings with companies. And it's all about what do you need? Like, what what are your key questions you're asking? Um, you know, like, is it time for insurance? Is it, you know, like all these things just come up every day in a startup. And so we're, we're there to just be that sounding board and pass on the lessons we've learned uh, from other companies as well as our own. And, you know, that's what makes the difference for these founders, I think.
0: And, and and also the key is the founders that are willing to have that support, ask those questions, be okay not knowing, be okay getting new. I've heard a lot of people say, "Well, yeah, there's a good idea, but then who are you actually investing in?" At those early stages, it's so critical. If you're in, you know, big egos and I know better, that's usually not a good formula.
1: <laughs> right. Exactly. And you know, it's it's finding those great people that uh, are open minded, that mm. willing to work with you and not, uh, you know, push the ego side too much. So it's, it's really important. And we, we do spend a fair amount of time and we have the luxury in our ecosystem to be able to see companies develop and you know talk to them from an earlier stage when they're even in the formation stage yeah. and just see how they respond and how they're talking to other people in the ecosystem. And, and that's pretty important in our process of just getting to know companies and people.
0: Getting to know people and building relationships. Who knew? <laughs> yeah. You
1: know,
0: <laughs> you're you're basic, so old fashioned, Jock, with your ideas. I don't know. And being, so and being this big, small town that we live in, it is easy to get relationships and know people. And, you know, I don't care if it's a good hire, if you're a company, sometimes my best hires, I've known them for years. And then finally the stars aligned. And, you know, it's that joke. If we're ever single at the same time, we'll get married kind of joke. Yeah. I've had a lot of great hires that way that I've known for years. And my best ones didn't come off a job post saying They came off going, I wonder if now is the time to give Jacques a call because I think he's looking and I think we're ready, but we've known each other for five years. <laughs> I'm just using yeah, that as a exactly. comparison. You get the best hires that way too. <laughs> Yeah. Very cool. cool. Well, Jacques, thanks for coming on. Thanks for just being, you know, candid and having a good conversation. That's what, that's why I do. I do the show even if nobody listens because I get to have good chats with guys like yourself. Um, metiquity.ca, M-E-T-I-Q-U-I-T-Y. I like right out of the top. We are a high conviction Alberta stage investor. I just, I like that term, high conviction. Because after getting yeah, to know thanks. both of you, I would back that a hundred percent. i like, that wasn't just a catchy tagline. You guys actually live that.
1: <laughs> thanks so much. Yeah. Awesome being here. Great to, have the dialogue
0: um if somebody wants to reach out or get a hold of you or have a chat with you specifically uh linkedin do you have a preference of where where we should send them (laughs) in the world of a million ways to communicate
1: (laughs) linkedin's always easy email you know i even use the old phone calls
0: if you can (laughs) pick up the phone what yeah
1: Uh, i was writing an article the other day about just communication
0: and leadership i'm like sometimes just pick up the phone it'll save you 20 emails (laughs) (laughs) i know everyone knows how old we are just because we use the word phone in a meeting Uh, But but anyways, I still think it's an effective strategy. (laughs) But do people in a room and have them talk? What? Who who said that was a good idea? Jock, absolute pleasure. Always enjoy our chats and good getting to know you a little bit more. Thanks for coming on today.
1: Mm. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Take care.